Hey everyone, this is Jesse Slade, and you are listening to To My Future Vinyl Collectors. Hey everyone, and it feels good to be back. Um, I just want to apologize for having a little bit of an extended um, absence as far as content goes. Um, you know, starting a new job has really cut into my time uh, that I am able to dedicate to podcasting. Although it is my passion, is what I do, what I love to do. Um, it is kind of difficult whenever you're working full time. Um, but that being said, we have an awesome new episode. I am so excited to share this experience with you guys. I'm excited to um, have shared it with the people that were in the room with me. Goodness, I have so many great friends that know about good music, and I'm very thankful. And I'm extremely humbled. Um, as many of you can tell from the opening song, um, Money, we are going to be listening to Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. I am so excited about this, and I think that it's going to be a really, really fun, entertaining listen and conversation. Um, So yeah, without any further ado, I don't want to cut into this conversation. Here is Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. everyone who's sitting around um first we have bobby my good friend and resident pink floyd expert due to his prior days which i'm sure we'll hear about we have matt Ballou, who is currently watching a video of a snake firework on his ipad which is trippy and it goes along with pink floyd that poster kind of i mean i could see that and then we have my um, good friend Coulter, who has been on, I believe, just about every podcast, haven't you? Which one have um, you been on all of them? There's probably been like two or three that I haven't been on. He's our resident comic book and rap expert, so this should be right up his alley. <laughs> he was in the background, and those two he wasn't actually talking on. He was just lurking in the corner. <laughs> He's a lurker. <laughs> Coulter, hashtag lurker. Um, so anyway, uh, we just finished listening to Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. Really, I mean, you guys could argue with this, is like one of the quintessential um, classic rock albums of our time. I feel like it's it's one that I feel like anytime like people bring up like classic rock albums, I end up talking about Dark Side of the Moon, or at least Pink Floyd in some capacity, probably because most of those conversations are with Bobby. Um, but it, I mean, it's considered yeah, by a lot of people the best album ever. One of the best, and and we'll of course, get into. Of course, that's subjective and debatable, but right. yeah, and and we'll get into. Um, I remember this time last year, you and Eric were arguing over um, greatest like rock band of all time, and you said Pink Floyd, right? That whole Facebook thing that was going around. I I, I could see myself saying Pink Floyd. I probably would go back and forth between Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin. I yeah. think I would still probably say Led Zeppelin is the greatest rock and roll band of all time. Oh, man. But, um, I love... I, but I just, Pink Floyd I, is my favorite. See, I just had this conversation with um, 
the owner of In the Groove Record Shop today. He he's not a big Pink Floyd guy or Led Zeppelin guy just because he's worked at a record shop like for eighteen years and he just gets kind of sick of you know yeah. the whatever the lore that's around them. But he said, you know, he's like, I can appreciate Pink Floyd. I literally cannot stand Led Zeppelin. <laughs> And which is interesting, which we have like every Led Zeppelin record in stock right now, which is great. But um, anyway, just to lead into that, like there there are opinions and thoughts on Pink Floyd. They're 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 not a band that you know people don't really have opinions of. I feel like everyone either loves. I mean, obviously this makes sense. Like everyone loves, hates, or are like me, and honestly are kind of in between on Pink Floyd. I go back and forth. And I feel like every time we have a listening party and I give a committed listen to an album that, you know, we did this on the Band of Horses album. I was like, yeah, I don't really, Band of Horses is whatever. Then we listened to it and gave it a committed listen. And I was like, wow, this is freaking great. Um, So I feel like, you know, that's kind of one of those things that, you know, on this, with this format, I always end up liking what we listen to way more afterward. And maybe that's an emotional thing, listening to it at that volume or whatever. But anyway, to to kind of get to, you know, some of the conversation in it, um, I always ask the question, you know, Bob, Bobby already kind of touched on it a little bit, but like, what what is your previous experience with this album? Because I feel like that's one of those, you know, those questions, like everyone comes to music with a different perspective and a different thought and, you know, a, a different, you know, everyone has different lives and brings their own thing to an album and to music. Um, so what, what is everyone, I'll go ahead and start. I already alluded to, you know, I, I grew up listening to Pink Floyd, but my, my, you know, I always thought that Pink Floyd was like right up my dad's alley. And it wasn't until recently that I realized like my dad didn't really listen to a lot of Pink Floyd and a lot of Led Zeppelin. He listened to a lot of like Bob Seger and like, uh, Black Sabbath, like that, that type. He didn't really listen to a lot of the quintessential like Pink Floyd's. Um, I was recently going through his record collection thinking I was going to score like every, you know, Pink Floyd album ever. And he, he only had, um, animals and dark side and which I got both. But, um, anyway, <laughs> like, those are so the best too. They, <laughs> I really like wish you were here, but, um, yeah. So it's just one of those things like I grew up thinking I knew a lot about Pink Floyd and had listened to a lot of Pink Floyd. And in reality, I hadn't really done that. So, you know, I've listened to Dark Side since, and this has been probably my most committed listen to Dark Side. I, I mean, I listened to it a lot this week in preparation because I didn't want to come in here feeling super ignorant. Um, and I did Dark Side of the Rainbow, which we were talking about, which I'm sure we'll get to at some point. So all that to say, I thought I had a lot of experience with Pink Floyd and I had my own opinions of Pink Floyd, but then those didn't really turn out to be super true. Um, but anyway, what changed uh, for you in terms of you said it wasn't true? Like what has shifted after listening to it more? Well, I, I, it wasn't so much that it's just I thought that I listened to a lot of Pink Floyd in reality. I hadn't listened yeah. to a lot of Pink Floyd. Um but anyway, how about you, Bobby? What's your previous experience with Dark Side? What do you bring to it and all that kind of stuff? My my dad was a big um, Zeppelin and Pink Floyd fan. Um, he actually he saw uh, Zeppelin and Pink Floyd live. Um, he, he, he saw the Animals uh, tour live, which for me is you know probably a top five 
um, concert of all time that I would uh, that I wish I could have got to see. Um, but I didn't actually like classic rock that much when I was a kid. Um, we we actually didn't listen to that much of it. Um, but once I got into college uh, and I started listening to classic rock, I listened uh, when I I remember when I first really kind of listened to Pink Floyd. It was Dark Side of the Moon, and um, I've always been a musician and. It just uh, completely captivated me. This, I will say, this is the album that I've listened to more than any other album ever, by by far. I would, I don't even know how many times I've listened to it. Probably, at least a hundred times, um, including, you know, forty to fifty really close listens. Uh, although it has been a few years since I've given given it a, a focused listen like this. So um, there are very few albums that <coughs> I know every single instrument what they're playing um by memory every solo i could sing in my head every lyric i know and so it's it's strange to have so much familiarity with an album the content of the album um so i have yeah a a lot of history most of it i would say 95 percent of the pink floyd listening i did was probably stoned in college um and i don't know i guess it lends itself to better that than dave matthews that's true. Yeah, I wasn't. A lot of people can say I wasn't in a Dave in my uh, in my stoner days. But I appreciate the music, musicianship. Do you do you think that you could play every instrument? Like, I mean, you said you don't play drums, right? Isn't that what you said? No, I mean only a little bit. But I, you think you could play every part of Dark Side on whatever instrument? Um, I, I could replicate all the melodies on piano. I've done it many times actually. I would sit. Oh, I did it with. I love doing that with Wish You Were Here. I would, I would just sit and get stoned and sit on my keyboard and just kind of replicate the different parts and and play over them just because um i love them so much and i think i think this is a like maybe like a novice thought to pink floyd but i think the song wish you were here is my favorite pink floyd song and i think it's like the top one on spotify too so i'm not Mm -hmm. alone in that but i mean i freaking just love wish you were here so much um, how about you, Matt? What were, what were some of your prior experiences with Dark Side and Pink Floyd and whatnot? Well, I think that my initial moment of falling in love with Dark Side of the Moon was when I was 14 or 15. My cousin Chris and I, who was my, my cousin Chris, was maybe three years older than me at the time. And, you know, so that distance when you're 15 and you're cousin is 18 there's he can drive you know he can take you places buy cigarettes he can buy he he can get everything but he also could get the music he understood the music and so he was the guy who had money because he had jobs who was buying music and stuff and and one of the main things that he did was um introduce me to all of pink floyd and i would say that probably most of what we focused on was the wall primarily and then Dark Side of the Moon, and of course, metal and animals, and there, there were other things that we touched on, but it was Dark Side of the Moon and the wall that were the most important. And one summer, when I was 15, we built a cabin out in the woods, and we would go out there, you know, this is over the course of maybe 18 months, so even in the wintertime, and we would always, like, trek out batteries and CD players and stuff, and we would play Dark Side of the Moon and The Wall, amongst other things. Jethro Tull, Zeppelin, all kinds of stuff. 
And it was that uh, that experience of of the night in the middle of the woods, a couple miles from the nearest road, that uh, we were listening to this stuff. And um, you know, of course, it kind of culminated for me uh, many years later when I went with my brother-in-law and my father-in-law to see Roger Waters in Toronto, and he played "Dark Side of the Moon" at the anniversary of the album, the entire album. Huh. And it was by himself, by himself with his band, and it was epic. Nice. It was incredible. Um, and it's it's something that you can't imagine to to sing that with you know twenty thousand other people. I mean, yeah. it was it was absolutely incredible. Um, so I would say that there are moments in Pink Floyd that, that, that this album. It's actually very strange to say that the most popular album is also the one that has the most sustained, powerful stuff. Because mm-hmm. earlier, before we started recording, we were talking about how like sometimes people get sick of Zeppelin. Well, that's yeah. because of overplaying, right? But you don't get sick of Pink Floyd. And one of the things I thought about tonight when we were listening to it was how, holy mackerel, <laughs> this does not sound like 1973. No, not at all. It, it, there, there, is, there are many albums that I own, 69, 70, 71, 72... 74, 75, 73. All, all throughout there, they all sound dated. Mm-hmm. The early Zeppelins sound dated. The early Tulls sound dated. The early Genesis sounds dated. All that stuff sounds dated. Well, Pink even Pink early Pink. early Pink Floyd does also. Right. But this one was like perfect. And I'm obsessed as an artist. I'm a, <coughs> I'm a professor of art. I'm always obsessed with the idea that like you could make a single artwork. That would be absolutely transcendent. And the great ones always do. The great artists always make that one transcendent artwork. And Floyd did it with this. Yeah, it's... I mean, I think the first thing that I said after the album ended, I think I looked at at you, Matt, and I said, um, damn, there's not any fucking filler on that album. Like, there's not one lull in there where I locked... Like, my mind didn't stop paying attention. Mm -hmm. It... It's it's airtight as they can possibly get, but um, I want to come back to the idea of like, is that a perfect album? Because that's something that it's an interesting thought. It's, it's whether or not there's such thing as it. That album begs the question for me: mm-hmm. um, is that a thing? Is, yeah, I mean, what what do you think? I mean, how does it fit for you? I don't know if I believe in. I don't know if concepts like perfection really have a place in art necessarily. But um, there's nothing in that album where I don't feel like it has a place and it has... uh, When I listen to it, I feel like it's perfect, right? There's nothing about it that I don't love. There's no piece where I'm like, that was a little cheesy. Like, there's some moments in Animals where they have some sound effects in there that, to me, are cheesy, and nobody would do that um, in in modern music. But this album, to me, doesn't have any moments like that. Um, And there are so many huge epic moments and uh well we'll we'll talk more about like the scope of what the album covers but to me if if there is a perfect album for me this is the one that comes to mind because any other any other conversation for me about perfect albums usually would be well maybe here's a perfect song like is stairway to heaven a perfect song Mm -hmm. um or freebird or something these classic um epic songs but I don't know of any other album as completely perfect from start to stop as that mm-hmm. one. 
Yeah. Freebird is one of the greatest rock songs ever recorded. Don't at me. Um, how about you, Coulter? What's your like previous experience with Pink Floyd? Um, you know, all that kind of good stuff. Yeah. Um, I first got introduced to Pink Floyd probably around uh, 12 or 13 years old. Um, my brother. Um, 12 or 13 years ago. 12 or 13 years ago. I mean, <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, my brother was really into uh, Pink Floyd at the time and a couple other uh, similar bands. Uh, he, he really got into Hendrix and, and stuff like that. But, uh um, yeah, he introduced me to Pink Floyd. Um, it was originally through The Wall. Um, we watched the movie The Wall together and That's a trip. terrified I'm, me <laughs> as a child. I've never uh, seen it. You need to see that. You, we you have know, a copy of it. it. You need to watch it alone it. at night when yeah. nobody else is around. <laughs> when Sarah's out of town. Yeah, get on that. I think the, fir- <laughs> the first time I watched it, I fell asleep uh, about halfway through and then I reawoke near the end. And both my brother and his friend Micah had had gone upstairs and gone to bed, and I was downstairs was alone. Like, what the and, and that was yeah, it was it was pretty traumatizing. As, That's as probably kid, the but. weirdest thing I've ever seen. Oh yeah, I'm I'm really interested. It's, it's definitely up there. If yeah, if it's not the most strange uh, piece of film i've ever seen maybe um, we need to have a crossover between real friends and this with, uh, <laughs> that'd be pretty sweet the wall be that a is idea. a good idea um <laughs> but uh yeah that that was the first time that i really uh started listening to to pink floyd um i'm mostly familiar with the wall uh, as far as pink floyd goes um but i've definitely you know heard most of the songs from dark side of the moon and I'm, so you haven't said uh, i'm just taking it not 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 the entire album no yeah. um you know i've heard great gig in the sky i've heard money right. i've heard you know the the most popular songs off the album but um yeah as a whole i, I don't think i've ever uh, sat down and listened to dark side of the moon um but uh yeah i've, I've always enjoyed uh pink floyd since i've started listening to him and um, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's one of the greatest classic rock bands I, I've ever yeah. uh, listened to. So they're awesome. And, you know, I, I kind of wanted to go back to this, Bobby, you touched on it a little bit about like, you know, what, I think we talked about this with like rumors as well, but like, what is like a perfect album? You know, and you talk about, you know, art. You don't think that, you know, art is a kind of thing where we should use, like, absolutes in that type of way. And I I had this question for Matt, actually, but I want everyone to kind of chime in on it. You know, a lot of people talk about, you know, the Mona Lisa being, like, a perfect painting. Um, how would you feel like that compares to, you know, Dark Side in this kind of way? Do you, do you feel like there's like a comparison there? Or am I making a huge leap in saying something like that? Because I feel like that's a common denominator there. I don't think that you're making a huge leap there. Um, I mean, I would, I would even go beyond Mona Lisa. You know, I, w- I would put Dark Side of the Moon with fundamentally transcendent moments and and i mean this may sound completely insane but i would put it with like the caves in lascaux i would put it with the you know the great pyramid in egypt i would seriously i would put it with i would put it with shard cathedral i would put it with transcendent works 
that have not only been internally consistent and excellent with their time, but also move beyond that time and do things more than influence. They, they make something that is beyond timeliness, let's say. They're like this little moment of infinity or moment of, inter- of eternity. I mean, no matter how you feel about Mona Lisa, it's, she's still just a woman at a particular time that people have been intrigued by. But there are other paintings and there are other uh, pieces of architecture. There are other ideas that have influenced beyond their time and become locked into what we believe about who we are as human beings. And I think that the reason why, you know, Dark Side of the Moon has had so many weeks on the number one sales list decades and decades after it. We still sell a new <laughs> copy of it every week at the shop. Yeah. I mean, just decades, like years and years after it came out. It's not just hip. It is transcended hipness. It is not just good. It is transcended the idea of goodness. You know, uh, there's a famous Nor- Norwegian painter, Odd Nerdrum. Maybe your listeners won't know of him, but he's in the art world. He's famous, right? And one of the things that he said back in the 90s was that the well-painted Madonna transcends her holiness, meaning that the subject matter of the work becomes sublimated and, and secondary to how well it is made. And there's something about Dark Side of the Moon that regardless of whether or not you connect to 70s British thoughts about sociopolitical issues, whether or not you understand the dynamics within the band, whether or not you understand where music was at that time and how American black artists were influencing people, regardless of any of that, in 100 years, people will still be able to connect to Dark Side of the Moon. I think even beyond that, it is a transcendent work, not because it connects to its time, but because through its amazing construction is able to break its time. It's able to go beyond its time. And there are very few artworks that do that. That, um, that album specifically is one that seems to not just like you're you're talking about it, it, it being transcendent, it going beyond its own time. You know, it's the interesting thing to me is maybe for people who don't know would say that Pink Floyd is stoner music. Um, and it does, for whatever reason, captivate stoners. I think it's because they're careful listeners for the most part. Um, but it's beyond that. Um, you know, my wife, who tends to like pop music, she loves money. That's one of, like, anytime that comes on the radio, she's just amped about it. You know, she probably wouldn't want to listen to the whole album, but it connects with her. Um, you know, serious artists, even, you know, young artists now around the world um, are covering Dark Side of the Moon. They're influenced by it. They see the the beauty of it. I mean, its reach of people who listen to it and say there's something special here is is pretty broad. I mean, whether or not you love Pink Floyd is is one question. But when you hear, you know, the, the last song and the choirs belting it out, I mean, it's just, I almost like want to stand up when I'm listening to it and just be like, you know, pump my fist, be like, yes! Yeah. Um, it's just such a great um, way to end the album. Um, and, and this doesn't have so much to do with, um, you know, with Pink Floyd per se, 
But, you know, a lot of people talk about going back to, like, what we were talking about earlier about, like, what is the greatest rock band or who's the greatest rock band of all time. You know, a lot of people would say the Beatles are the greatest rock band of all time. I probably wouldn't argue with somebody that said that. I think the Beatles are very overplayed but not overrated. I think they're very underrated in the impact that they've had in music in general. But in this context, you know, obviously Pink Floyd, were, they were making albums at the same time the Beatles were making albums. Um, the Beatles made their last album in 69. This album came out in, what, 73? So the question I want to ask you guys is do you feel like that, you know, with the Beatles releasing Let It Be and just letting the career, you know, be finished, they said that was their last album, they stood by it, um, do you feel like, you know, with that happening in the course of history of rock and roll music, let it be ending and then they have this kind of lull and then dark side drops. And I feel like there's a whole different tra trajectory that comes out of dark side that came out of the Beatles career. Do you feel like Pink Floyd has had as big of an impact moving forward as the Beatles did in the beginning? Um, I don't know if that's a well-structured question, but it's just a thought that I was kind of having as we were sitting there listening to it, thinking of rock music. I mean, it's hard. It's, you know, those influential bands are all interconnected. You know, the Beatles influenced um, Pink Floyd. Um, you know, even uh, Sid Barrett, his psychedelic guitar playing influenced the Beatles. You know, they're hearing him do this this crazy stuff on guitar that nobody's ever heard, which, you know, he's a whole another part of the story of Pink Floyd that, um, you know, his, the way he began um, Pink Floyd influenced, even though he wasn't on the band anymore because of his demons and drugs and everything, but that influenced Dark Side of the Moon, and there was American rock and roll and the use of um, different uh soul music that influenced some of the singing styles on dark side of the moon and of course you know even bands that are really cut from a similar cloth like radiohead are going to be influenced by both the beatles and in, in a way but also pink floyd and so it's hard to say who has more because art is so interconnected especially music because no no artists grow up in a vacuum right every artist grows up listening to music being shaped by the music that they they sing in church that they listen to and um, that their parents listen to so it's right I, I never really understood the concept of the most influential band right in right. different ways every band is interconnected and, yeah uh, influential. and I'm not I wasn't trying to just to clarify I wasn't trying to say that one of them has more influence than the other it is I was I was trying to get to the point like do you think that you know, they have as much of an influence on contemporary rock music as the Beatles do. Obviously, they both do, but I was just... I, I think they do that. in the sense that they're they're a catalyst, right? Like, real, realistically, there was not a gap between when the Beatles ended and when Floyd dropped this. It's that there was a consistency that happened with a lot of different acts. I mean, even, even an act like Spirit or an act like Camel or an act like Can... Like some of these, some of these bands were operating at that time, mm -hmm. and they were American bands, they were Kings. British bands, they were all, the King. I mean, all the proto punk, punk, all this stuff was happening at the same time. The issue is that there are catalysts who get remembered, and there are those who push the form along who get forgotten. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say that 
the Beatles were a gigantic catalyst. They were a spark plug. They were an engine. They powered things. Floyd, a spark plug, an engine. They powered things. Zeppelin, they powered things. But, but we would not have many of the types of music that we have today without those three bands and among a dozen others. Right, and that's, and that's kind of the point that yeah. I was trying to like get us to because whenever I listen to... When I listened to Dark Side this this listen through, I got so much like I saw so much of the influence that they have on the bands that I listen to now, mm-hmm. like Explosions in the Sky, you know, this will I mean, be post rock as a whole. All category. of those post exist without exactly, people. and all of those post rock bands, like I feel like were derivative of Pink Floyd, and I feel like without Dark Side, you know, obviously like stylistically dark side set the tone for their next three albums which you know i would say are the run of those four albums of animals the wall wish you were here in dark side is one of the greatest runs in music history mm-hmm. as, as far as albums go like who who can you think of that like i can think of maybe a handful of people who have dropped four out of this world albums in a row that mm-hmm. just doesn't really happen anymore but I, I feel like that run of albums, like what you were saying, like that's where post-rock was born, mm-hmm. which is one of my favorite genres of music, which I've been open about saying you know, on the podcast multiple times. Um, so I think that's really, really cool. And that's one thing that I took away this listen through. I was like, holy crap, like this is post-rock. This is the first one of the first post-rock albums. I'm sure there are other instrumentals, but you know what I mean. Um, when you, like when you listen to Animals, they have like seven-minute instrumental. Yeah. Which is something Four, that, five songs on the whole album. Which, you know, it's that sort of blend of instrumental classical music was doing that, jazz was doing that, but rock and roll wasn't doing that. And so you have that, that blend of instrumental sweeping soundscapes with, um, you know, guitars and slide guitars and distortion. It's, it's, it's really born there. But yeah. again, even Pink Floyd, they're influenced by all those other styles, by jazz. Richard Wright, the pianist, he was a jazz pianist. Yeah. He studied classical music. Um, and so the, all these pieces existed, and they took music and they built something new, and it and it was a catalyst for a lot of right. uh, great music. And that was which leads me into like my next. Matt already talked about this a little bit, but you know the the influence of you know African American culture on this quintessential classic rock band is remarkable. Um, did, did any of you guys have any additional thoughts to that? Because like, I mean, was it a big, is it a big gig in the sky? Great gig in the sky. Yeah. Great gig in the sky where, um, the lady, like the vocal solo. solo, And you want to tell us a little bit about um, that? She, it's, it's actually a a white lady. Oh really? Um, I didn't know that for years. I feel ignorant now. No, I know. But stylistically, of course, it comes from the sort of soul tradition, um, and she has such a powerful, booming voice, but it, and not just the, uh, not just the vocals, the the female vocals in the background that influence, but also the, uh, the funk guitar. Yeah. That come out that came from that sort of funk, uh, jazz tradition. Um, David Gilmore, he was influenced by that a lot. If you listen to some of his licks, are very like he has a lot of that that funk soul. Uh, influence in there too yeah i think any color you like was very soulful you know whenever i was listening to that i I could definitely pick up the the soul and the the funk uh you know influences through that song um Mm -hmm. but yeah i mean 
obviously uh, money is a is a very it's groovy <laughs> uh, groovy <as> funk, <laughs> funk uh, style song uh, you know with the the heavy bass and and that's that that's something that I really noticed this this go around with Pink Floyd is um, you know realizing how um, central the bass was uh, to to all their music um, yeah I mean Roger Waters was their right. bassist right um, so. I mean, obviously, I talk, if, could, if, he, if he's if he's time. the main songwriter, I mean, obviously, the bass is going to be you know uh, part of uh, their their main focus. Um, but it was it was definitely uh, noticeable uh, on you know this is my first time listening to the entire album, but uh, um, I mean, it it just uh, you know really really shone through this time for me. The uh, I noticed the yeah. the, the bass is just a, a key component to this this whole album. Uh, yeah, which I was. That's a great setup because that's what I was going to ask Bobby to talk about next. Cause I know whenever, whenever I first told Bobby that we were doing this album, not only did he seem extremely excited. Um, the first thing that you said to me was, well, be ready for me to talk about the basis the entire time. <laughs> um, so yeah, you want to touch on that a little bit? Like how, how does, you know, obviously bass drives most music, but how in this case, does do you feel like it drives this album um overall you know yeah well first let me say that i think that this album is so well balanced and so perfectly crafted that um you know there are some there are some songs or some albums that you listen to where the drums really just stand out to you it's just a drive like sometimes some radiohead songs um you know, so you just hear him driving the song with the beat. And on this album, even though I'm in love with the bass, I think that it's so perfectly balanced. One of the things that I wanted to talk about is this is not a jam band, okay? Even though there's some solos, this is a meticulously crafted album. Every piece was composed primarily with the influence of Roger Waters. It's his genius, but understanding the brilliance of, you know, Nick Mason on the drums, Richard Wright on keyboards... Um, of course, Gilmore with his singing and solos, but behind it all is is a great. He's freaking Mozart. He's composing this masterpiece, and so the the bass specifically. I think the reason it stands out to me <coughs> is because typically bass. A lot of times you'll hear it is on on one hand you have just the groove baser. He's grooving along, right? He's um, giving the sort of dance, the thing that makes you dance. And then you have another type of bass player who is giving you sort of just that low end, um, following the chords. And then you have your Vic Wootens, right? Your, your bass players who are taking a lead guitar sort of role. They're taking over the song uh, with slap bass or that sort of thing. But in here, it's, it, it's, the bass is composed as an instrument. Um, sort of how a composer would write an, an actual, you know, a... a an upright bass into a symphony, it is written as part of the whole texture of the song. And so the way that the, the bass has little movements, it has groove at times, especially in Money, of course, it's driving that 7-8 beat. Mm -hmm. um, it has melodic moments where it's, it's dancing with the vocals and with the electric guitar. The bass drum and the, the bass are in sync beautifully and they play off each other on, on downbeats and offbeats. And so it's just not a, a one-trick type of bass playing. 
it is written as a beautiful instrument that's part of the whole orchestra of this uh, album. And so I always think if you want to know how to be a great bass player, how to be tasteful, how to um, have all sorts of different styles, I always say listen to Roger Waters because everyone brings up, you know, um, uh, what's his name, uh, Claypool or uh, mm-hmm. Vic Wooten, you know, all these, Flea. or Flea. Mm-hmm. But, you know, those are Mingus. They're, they're hot dogs. <laughs> well, of course, Mingus is, is different. Br- different, brilliant. But this guy is, the, to me, one of the most creative bass players who, if you if you just follow what he's doing, you almost can't because you get lost in how perfectly it blends with everything else. Mm-hmm. But that being said... Isn't that the definition of great bass? But, but that being said, right, you know, Alan Parsons knows that Floyd needs a singer for Great Gig in the Sky. He brings in this white lady, Claire Torrey, and then suddenly, you know, in one or two takes, I mean, apparently... One take. They the just whole had, thing was one take. They just had to, sky. like, say, don't don't say, oh, baby. Don't go, ooh, oh, baby. They, they just sort of let her into it, and she did it. And it was like that instantaneous responding to that music. So responding to that amazing construction intuitively and 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 with that that sense of where that music is going. And that's it's powerful. It's amazing. That moment. Th- that's what I love about me. that moment in that song is because what you just said, I, I knew the one take thing and you know it's it's I, I ask myself constantly, especially when I hang out with with Matt, because he consistently you know challenges me with this. But like, how how do you emotionally react to music? In that moment, in that song, it's her emotionally reacting to the music, and it's one take. It's real and it's raw. It's not overproduced like the shit that we have today. Mm-hmm. It's real, and like that was just you know one of those things. How you know in in. I usually ask, like, what is everyone's favorite song? I'm not going to ask that on this album because I feel like that's redundant. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, in the song Us and Them, the music, the way that it would go from these huge, huge builds and then it would drop down to this, you know, subtle saxophone and piano. You know, like, this, you know, and this is how I, you know, I feel on a day-to-day basis. You know, how, how I feel with, like, struggling with whatever I struggle with. A lot of the times, my days, emotionally, just because of the way that I'm made, are made the exact same way that freaking song is. And whenever I was doing that, I was like, oh, this is relaxing. This is nice. And the next second, it's chaotic and crazy. And I, I caught myself reflecting on that. And I was just like, like, today, I was like, man, it's raining. This is great. I've been listening to, like, reggae all day. It's been relaxing. <laughs> And then I had to fucking drive home from Jefferson City, Missouri when it's been raining for five days straight and I can't see anything on the highway. I get home, there's not dinner. Like, so we had to go grab dinner real quick. I had to come in here, set up the studio and I'm just like freaking out the whole time. And then this freaking album comes on and I'm just chill again. Mm-hmm. It's like one of the, it's the same type of thing and I was reflecting on that whenever we were listening to that song, just how, you know, it goes from the, the soft saxophone into like the swooping like guitars and drums and collective like beauty. And I feel like that's kind of, you know, how I am made is, is okay. in that song. So that's a moment from today. <clears throat> yeah. Just today. It, instead, instead of talking about the idea of like, where's a song in here or where's a, 
even where's a lyric in here, maybe. But like, where's a moment in Dark Side of the Moon that is kind of perfect for you? So you just described one. Yeah. In a sense. For me, there's that moment where, you know, where he, he talks about on the run. It's like, you run in, you run to catch up with the sun, but it's sinking, racing around to come up behind you again. Sun is the same in a relative way, but you're older. Closer to death, or shorter of breath and one day closer to death. And I remember when I was 20 years old, hearing that and thinking about that and thinking, should I go to college? Should I change my life? Should I leave the middle of nowhere? Or should I stay here and try to make it work here? Yeah. And that being like this kind of like catalyst, this kind of like move point, this this pivot point. So I would say maybe that song itself is not perfect for me, but maybe that lyric of like, do I want to wake up in 10 years and wonder what the hell I did? You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like in that lyric is comprised this choice. Yeah, I'm going to go and apply and I'm going to get the hell out of here. And right. it's... 20 years later. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you're sitting in a spare bedroom talking about Pink Floyd. Right. Which is interesting because I've almost had the opposite. So the end of that line is, um, and then one day you find 10 years have got behind you. No one told you when to run. Right. You missed the starting gun. And I feel that as, um, you know, I'm 31 now. Uh, and I'm just like, man, I've been, I've been out of high school for 13 years. And I'm still trying to figure out what happened to those years and I have aside from marrying somebody I have accomplished almost nothing in my mind that I want to do and so that that line always hits me almost in the negative like and Mm -hmm. I think everyone to some degree feels that regret like Mm -hmm. whoa where did the last 10 years go and what happened how did I how did I miss those years so quickly or forget about them or you know, take them for granted or whatever. So I, I, I get that moment of regret that he's talking about there. Yeah, absolutely. Does Did anyone else have any sort of like thoughts? Now, this is all another common question I ask, but like anything that they recognize this, this listen through, or I know Coulter, you said that you hadn't listened to the album the entire way through. Did you have anything like this time lyrically, musically, or anything that like kind of stood out? to you that maybe it'll bring you back to Pink Floyd or maybe, you know, it won't bring you back to Pink Floyd or anything uh, in that kind of vein? Um, I mean, it definitely opened me up to uh, <clears throat> Pink Floyd more. Uh, I mean, this, stylistically, this album is very different from, you know, uh, The Wall, uh, which, like I said, I'm more uh, familiar with. Um, but uh, as far as um noticing things on the album um i i i'd say i have to get more familiar with it yeah totally money is the only song that i can honestly say that i know um but um you know as as far as the whole album goes it's it it was weird how fast it went by it's only like Um, 45 minutes long. yeah but but even that it didn't seem that long yeah. Um yeah. just just the way the songs transition into one another there's no, you know, stopping, there's no uh time to breathe really. There's um you know, it's just one uh piece of music. 
the entire thing. And th- that's what I thought was really interesting about it, um, I'd say, is that just uh, the way that the songs seamlessly go into one another is uh, really impressive. And, you know, I mean, obviously we had to flip the record over. The, well, you know, yeah. there's, there's that style. That's but, going from black um, and white to color. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, as far as just the the transition from song to song and the ups and downs of the entire album, it's it really impressed me with how they... Uh, crafted the entire album just as a as a whole uh it's it's one piece of music and that's that's just really impressive to me so yeah and and going along with like you know what you're saying what matt like was saying what everyone said is it's amazing how contemporary sounding this album actually is you know um there's not a lot of people making this type of music anymore but i feel like if you were to take somebody who had never heard of pink floyd or anything like that, and you were to play this, I don't think that they would necessarily think it was from 1973. Mm-hmm. Um, and that and that's a really impressive thing, because, you know, the Beatles stuff is great. Yeah, it's dated. You know, Led Zeppelin's dated. All that stuff is, like what you were saying earlier. But um, I, I don't feel like this is, and I feel like it holds up. And, you know, I, I've been hard on Pink Floyd throughout my life, you know. I, and I think, once again, it's because, you know, what you were saying, Bobby, whenever you were explaining your experience with the album, it's like, you never really want to listen to what your parents listen to. You know, it, uh, that's not the cool mm-hmm. thing to do. We talked about that on the Rumors podcast. And I feel like it's until recently I, I've started, you know, giving some of the, you know, quintessential, like, what my parents listen to music a chance. And, like, damn be to me because it's freaking great stuff. Most of most of it's great. I mean, you know, you have the the eighties were they inter- just got interesting lucky growing time. up in that time though. They just happened to grow up where all the music was it's brilliant. Awesome. Yeah. And so it's ridiculous. You know, we can choose to listen to good music or well, popular music. I mean there there was plenty of bad music during that. That's time. true. Maybe I just don't I never hear it. But yeah, the most popular the, the music, stuff that lasts is is what you know. But still, think of the I most listen. the most popular music in the sixties and seventies was the Beatles. I mean, they were the boy band, mm. like compare that to the like the most. I don't know who the most popular music. I don't know, maybe Kesha or something. I have no <laughs> idea. I don't even know. But the the point <laughs> is, is like little girls were listening to the Beatles. They that were clawing blo- their faces. That blows my mind. Like now they're listening to you know who knows. I don't know like One Direction or something. That's the difference to me. Mm-hmm. Man, it it's just crazy how all great pop rock bands go through that transition of breaking up just like one direction did you know it's just <laughs> I, don't, I don't know anything about that um but anyway you know which the breakup I, of pink floyd is another story for yeah another day. i mean we could we could i'm sure that there will be more pink floyd listening parties because I, there's just so much to be discussed um you know but we're running kind of short on time so did anyone if we all want to kind of chime in or whatever have any sort of you know closing thoughts or you know, closing things to say about um, Dark Side of the Moon. I, I will say, you know, I already s- talked about how, you know, how recognizable it is to my own temperament, the album flow, and that's that's something that's really important to me and honestly will keep me going back to this album, you know, throughout my, my entire life will have me showing this to my children is because of the, the way it is relationally to, like, it, re- it relates so well to myself. Um, lyrically and you know everything the sense of wonder the sense of you know what am I doing the sense of loneliness I, I 
that's a whole other thing to talk about is in this perfectly well-constructed piece of art where everything's working together i got a sense of loneliness throughout the freaking album Mm -hmm. and that's like a whole other thing to talk about but did anyone else have any sort of you know kind of things that jumped off the vinyl to them or um anything like that i had had two things that i wanted to to mention one quickly just the uh we were talking about specific moments Uh, and this is maybe a strange moment to to talk about but is actually the way the album begins because for me the beginning of the album is it's not like the first time i heard it it when i hear the beginning album and it's this heartbeat going there's tension building but it's sampling all these pieces from all these songs that are getting ready to come it's sampling the cash registers from money it's sampling um the synthesizers from uh, from different songs so there's all these little foreshadowings that my mind sort of goes to and then it when it comes in with that that sort of screaming and then it just is real chill when the when the guitars come in. That moment to me, even though it's like the first moment of the song, is a perfect moment uh, because of all that's wrapped in it with the foreshadowing and the tension and the heartbeat. I love that moment. You know what? I don't want to cut you off, but you know another fantastic classic rock album that does the the prelude super well is the Who's Quadrophenia. It 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 gives away the ending in the in the interlude perfectly but anyway that's that's another subject but i don't know if anyone else has ever listened to that but it's amazing but yeah that's uh, the so the beginning but specifically i just wanted to briefly talk for a moment about the lyrical achievement of this song um we we haven't really talked much about lyrics at all yeah but this song if you just go back and read through the whole lyrics what other album has covered such a broad spectrum of the biggest things in the world Um, i mean covering the con- concepts of heaven, of um, of relational fighting, of politics, mm-hmm. of um, just a few that come to mind, mental illness, and, and mm-hmm. dealing with demons like that, uh, dealing with the futility of life and how everything is sort of like in reach, but really all of it is out of reach. The whole concept of the last song blows me away and is heartbreaking. Um, the concept of time that, you know, that whole song of just dealing all these enormous subjects that have the, the whole scope to some degree of what really matters in life, family, money, just, I mean, how big of a concept is money? It's right in the center of the album. And, and they're sort of saying, hey, this thing, which they quote, of course, of course, scripture, that this is the root of, they're saying it's the root of all evil, but then they're exploring how it really does influence their, their bosses. Everyone's dr- driven for it. it. It's worth is going back and considering the scope of what they're covering and, and that ending where it's saying, hey, we have all this before us, but it's all mm-hmm. eclipsed. The sun is eclipsed by the moon. Like, ultimately, we can't grasp what we're going for. That, to me, just, like, crushes me and, and blows me away, the scope of the lyrics. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I would say that there are just a few, like, main albums that even attempt, right? You know, like, Yes is Fragile... Talk Talks, Eden, um, Genesis, the, line, uh, the Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, uh, Jethro Tull's Passion Play. Like, there's only a few that even try to do these things, right? And that's what's so important because when you look back at the history of humanity, all of our main documents, all of our main attempts to grasp what's going on, whether you're talking about the Bible, or the Code of Hammurabi, or the Epic of Gilgamesh, 
or Moby Dick. They're trying to handle these things. That's why these albums are a part of that. And that's why Dark Side of the Moon stands out among them and, and, and goes into that realm of a transcendent artwork. It, it, it's effective. As opposed to being something where like some people can get it. Like I feel the same things when I'm listening to Tull's A Passion Play. Which I listened to finally the other day. It's amazing. That's great. But but it's it's not for everyone, right? Whereas like in some sense, Dark Side of the Moon is for everyone. It's it's absolutely astounding how how well it works for almost everybody who listens to it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. There's not really much else to say about Dark Side. It just yeah, you said it wonderfully, Matt. It it just captures so much of and Bobby like and Nate man and Coulter like it, it just it perfectly m- melds together all of the things that we we think about the things that we feel the things that we want to feel um, you know and, and it, it puts it all in 45 minutes airtight no filler one of the greatest rock albums albums of all time and I can't think of a better group of dudes to listen to this with. And I'm super thankful that you guys are on. We're on. Um, I've said it once and I'll say it a thousand more times. These things can't happen without you guys showing up. So you guys showing up really means a lot. Um, so, yeah. Thanks, you guys, so much for talking to me about this and listening with me. And we'll see you guys at the next listening party. Thanks. it for this episode of the to my future vinyl collectors podcast um i know that we just heard on the recording but i want to thank everyone who you know listens to the podcast and everyone who um attends the listening parties and it's just really encouraging and um humbling to have such devoted friends and you know people that listen i'm i'm it doesn't go unnoticed i'm super thankful for it um you know I also have been upping, you know, kind of my Instagram game a little bit, you know, with the the whole, like, thing that they ripped off from Snapchat, the um, Instagram stories. I've been posting along, um, you know, things that I'm listening to, records I'm buying, you know, whatever I'm listening to on Spotify, maybe, like, in the evening. I think um, uh, this past Saturday I was sitting out on my back patio just with my Bluetooth speaker and listening to just... 2000s rap and I just thought it was funny so I was posting those on my timeline of where I was listening to it's just an interesting way to you know interact with you guys and for you guys to interact with me so if you want to follow me on there that is on Instagram at Jesse Slade and you should be able to find it pretty easy Um, other than that thank you all of you guys I look forward to putting out you know more listening parties throughout the summer they might be a little bit more spaced out due to my schedule Um, but I'm going to do my best to you know bring you guys content
So yeah, thanks you guys so much for talking to me about this and listening with me, and we'll see you guys at the next listening party. Thanks. Uh, uh, uh. I love we- that all of that was recorded. <laughs>